0: And our sermon title today is, How Long Would You Wait for God? It's a question. How long would you wait for God? And uh, a lot of times I do a quote from Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, and I sing a song, Spurgeon quote, Spurgeon quote, but I don't have a Spurgeon quote today, I have a G. Campbell Morgan quote. So, it doesn't, doesn't roll off the tongue to say, G. Campbell Morgan quote, I don't know, so I'm going to read you this quote to start us off here. It says, Waiting for God is not laziness. Waiting for God is not going to sleep. Waiting for God is not the abandonment of effort. Waiting for God means, first, activity under command. Second, readiness for any new command that may come. And third, The ability to do nothing until the command is given. The ability to to do nothing until that command is given. And that just is a nice, thorough description of what waiting on the Lord looks like. Well, let's go ahead and pray as we get into our text. Father, I thank you for your love, and and we pray that you would help our hearts to learn to wait upon you where um, we don't feel like we have to change everything, right away we don't feel like we have to fix ourselves but we can wait for the work of our gracious father in our hearts writing your laws on our hearts and on our minds uh, producing fruit in your way by your spirit we pray that you'd open up the meanings of this uh, scripture that we have today in your name amen brief reset there in egypt there's been 10 plagues. God is coming to redeem them out of Egypt, the children of Israel. And God is saying, I'm gonna, I am your savior. I will do everything to get you out of Egypt. And so he's brought these 10 plagues to convince Pharaoh that he is God. And Pharaoh hardens his heart. Pharaoh hardens his heart, and God hardens his heart after that. And now we've, we've had the 10th plague. We've seen it come to pass, which is called Passover, where God said, I'm going to go throughout the land of Egypt and I'm going to kill the firstborn of every family. Except if you take a lamb and you kill the lamb and you put its blood on your doorpost, then the angel of death will pass over your house and you will be safe. Outside of those houses, they would be very sad because their firstborn would die. But inside those houses would be perfect peace they would be perfectly saved in God's by God's mercy and by God's Passover lamb. And who does the Passover lamb represent? Jesus. Good job. You guys are well taught. I like that. 29, verse 29 of chapter 12 is where we start today. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who he sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock So Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said, and take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also." It's amazing, it's miraculous how God is able to get things done that we think are impossible. We think it's impossible. How long are you willing to wait for God to do something powerful in your life? He wants to. Maybe you need healing from a certain addiction or sin or a physical thing. Maybe you need deliverance. Maybe you need companionship. You've been living single for a long time and that's super frustrating. Maybe, I don't know what your issue is that you're waiting for God to come through. You feel like only God can come through. It will happen. He will deliver you if you're his child. That is part of the deal. When you're redeemed, redemption is complete and full, but He walks us through this process. Sometimes it takes time. But we need to not worry about our obstacles, what is going on in our life, what looks impossible to our eyes. There's people that stand in our way. There's obstacles that stand in our way. And we have one responsibility, and that's do not fear, only believe. Believe that God will deliver you from everyone of the needs that you have, every one of the obstacles in front of you. He will do it. Jesus is your deliverer. We only need to follow him. That's what the children of Israel believed. They said, if I kill this lamb, God is going to take care of me. And they stayed at rest in their house. They let the work of the lamb do its work. The lamb was killed. His blood protected them. And they are now delivered where the people in Egypt were not. But our responsibility, their responsibility was to stay in their house, chill out, calm down, and trust in God. We don't like to hear that, do we? We like to hear sermons where there's three points of what you can do to make your life more comfortable, or to have God's deliverance happen a little faster, or to get it done. What can I do to fix my life? What can I do, God? That's what we like because that's how we're built. That's how, as Americans, we think. Give me the blueprints. Ikea tells me how to do it. They don't even use words. They just have pictures, and I can figure it out. Why don't we have a picture Bible, God? And God says, there is no instructions. There's just Jesus dying on the cross, and you... Engage with that or you don't. I deliver you, you can't deliver yourself, okay? Now, we're going to look in Mark and talk a little bit about a story in Jesus' life. Uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 35, is where we're going to begin. And Jesus, he's going through the towns there in Israel, and while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? So this, this ruler of the synagogue, this rabbi, had come to Jesus and said, can you heal my daughter? And Jesus is like, let's go. And on the way, they got sidetracked with this woman who, who got healed by Jesus, and she touched his robe and was healed, and he talked with her a little bit. And then as they're going on the way, someone comes and says, it's impossible now. Jesus took too long. Have you ever felt like that? Jesus, it is now just too long. It's, it's gone too far. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, John, and John, the brother of James. And he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And he saw a tumult And those who wept and wailed loudly, and then he came in, and he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother child, and those who were with him, and entered where the child was laying. And then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, Arise. And immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was twelve years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it, and said that something should be given to her to eat. Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid, only believe. Now, when you tell someone, Don't be afraid, it can sound kind of mean. But Jesus knows one very important truth that he's trying to explain to this rabbi here. It's that fear and faith never mix. They're like oil and water. They don't mix to make a nice drink. They can never go together. When you're afraid, you are not trusting in God. That sounds harsh. Well, fear is natural. How can I just not be afraid we have to replace our fear with faith. He's saying to this guy, don't trust in me and worry at the same time. It will not work. Those two will not work together. We can only do one at a time. You can only worry or trust in Jesus you, at the you can't do either you can't do those both at the same time. You have to pick one or the other and I'm sure many of us have tried. To say, I'm trusting in Jesus, but I'm really worried about this situation. Anyone? Do we do that? We try to do that. And it never works. So we either trust in Jesus and say, I'm all in to your will and your way, and I'm going to step forward no matter what happens to me. Or, I really don't believe you, God, and I'm going to worry about this. Those are the only two options. What do you want? The Holy Spirit is drawing us to trust in him. Say, I'm going to believe in you, Lord. Where our flesh just wants to, be, well, what if he doesn't come through for me? Have you ever thought that? What if God lets me down? What if I put my trust in him and he doesn't come through for me? That is literally an impossible statement but our flesh loves to consider it our flesh loves to think about it and be like oh let me worry about this i'm more convinced of the difference between worry and faith every day Um, if i'm afraid i'm not trusting in jesus but he would never hurt me without a purpose he loves me and the more i go in my life i realize that all the pain that i go through that all the pain I was worried about and I was afraid of, God knew about it. God allowed it for very important purposes. Did I say porpoises? I think I said porpoises, but I meant purposes, not dolphins. Those are not the reason for your pain. (laughs) Unless you got bit by a dolphin. That went weird, sorry. Sorry. If I'm afraid, listen to this, if I'm afraid, I am not exclusively trusting in Jesus. I'm not putting my faith. And that helps me to understand when I'm feeling fear, that's, that's not something I need to be, um, it's just, it's a key to help me understand what is going on inside me. I don't have to do things to try to remedy my fear. It's just a key to say, hey, trust in the Lord until that fear is overcome. He has a purpose that I can't see, and I'm trying to figure out and believe at the same time it doesn't ever work. If I'm trying to figure out why I'm suffering and just believing and trusting him at the same time, those two aren't going the same direction. It's like I'm walking this way for a little while and walking that way a little while. Sometimes I wander around my house with no particular purpose, or sometimes I go into the kitchen and forget what I went there for. Anybody else do that? And it's like, why... Am I so scattered? I'm not accomplishing anything in my life. And that's the exact same thing that happens in our life when we're trying to figure out why we're suffering so much, why we're hurting. And we're, but yet, sometimes we're trying to trust in the Lord also at the same time. It gets us nowhere. It gets us nowhere. It's amazing to see how many books we'll read when we want to figure something out. Nathan's entire job is Googling. Just figuring out stuff. And, and it's amazing how much you can figure out when you want to figure it out. But God brings things into your life that you can't figure out. Like the book of Job. The book of Job, he says, um, here, Job, I'm going to make your life completely miserable. And then the Bible never explains why God did that. But he invites Job into this relationship where I want you to pray to me, I want you to talk to me, and I want you to trust me, Job. And Job finally at the end realizes that. So it's amazing how... Um, the one book we should read, that's the one we tend to neglect when we're hurting, right? The word of God. We don't really like the answers that are supplied in the Word of God. When things seem impossible in our life, Jesus comes along and he says, Oh, your daughter just died. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Jeez, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus. That seems kind of harsh. Don't be afraid, only believe? Yeah, right. Jairus, who's this leader, he was supposed to believe the word of Jesus simply, exclusively, without doubting or wavering. That's what Jesus asked him to do, and he invited him to do. Now, let's connect this back with our story in Egypt. What's your Egypt? What are are you waiting for God to deliver you from? I don't know what it is for you, but I know this. Jesus stands before you today and says, don't fear. Don't worry about it. Follow me, believe me, trust me, and I will deliver you. No matter what it is, I will deliver you. So back in our text, back in Exodus, the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. So they're like, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here. We don't want God to kill any more of us. We're done with this. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders, Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so they granted them whatever they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And we studied that in the past That speaks of God's blessings on this people. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides children. And get this, a mixed multitude went up with them also. That means people who were not Jewish, a bunch of Egyptians and a bunch of other people were like, we're going with you. And flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough, which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened. Because they were driven out of Egypt, they could not wait. So they prepared provisions for themselves. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years, and it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, on that very same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. So we see the end of a season, a season. It was a long season, 430 years, but just a season nonetheless. You are in a season too. Maybe it's your whole life, but it's just a season. Keep holding on to the hope that's in Jesus Christ. Hold on to him until the very end. You can decide To trust him in your heart, even now, today, I will hope in Jesus through this season. I will depend only on him. I'm not going to try to end this season. What would have happened if the children of Israel would have tried to get out of Egypt before it was their time? Ah. Every time the Egyptian anthem was there, they would have bowed the knee to protest it. You know, I don't know what, how they would have begun this process of trying to figure things out for themselves, of trying to work things out for themselves. I'm not making a political commentary actually right now. I'm relating it back to them. What if they would have gone to war with, with Egypt and said, we won't take it anymore. And they, they got their bricks and they started throwing in them at the Egyptian. What would have happened? Nothing good. Because you can't deliver yourself from the bondage that Satan has in your life. We can't deliver ourselves. We must be delivered by Jesus. And our season, we don't get to pick how long our season was. Theirs was 430 years. Now, they weren't actually in Egypt for those 430 years. That 430-year time frame starts from the beginning of Abraham being called out uh, to wander uh, through the nations. And so when you think time, they weren't actually slaves for 400 years. They were slaves for probably about 200, maybe even less, actual slavery. But that's a, that's a very academic discussion. I just thought I would bring it up because I think it was interesting. Um, but suffice it to say, our season can be very long of suffering. Maybe uh, you look at your wedding ring and you're like, yep, that's my season of suffering. (laughs) Then come out to our marriage class, you know? Just kidding. Uh, No, really, come out to our marriage class. It would be great. But it is a season. It is a season. And it is serving. And it is difficult. Our entire life is this season. But we just keep trusting in the Lord. And he will deliver us for sure, for certain when we put our heart to him. Let's continue on here. It says, It is a night of solemn observance for the Lord, bringing them out of the land of Egypt. It is a night of the Lord, um, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout all their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it. But every man's servant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, he may eat it. A sojourner that has hired, uh, uh, hired servants shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten, and you shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells in you, uh, with you and wants to keep the Passover of the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and eat keep it, and he shall be as a native of the land. For no uncircumcised person shall eat it one law shall be for you, for, be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Thus all the children of Israel did, and the Lord commanded, uh, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass on the very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. So here I'm just going to highlight that there's three groups of people that were not allowed to eat the Passover. And there's a reason for that. Now, eating the Passover, we've already studied, but I'll just tell you again, eating the Passover, for us, is symbolic of having fellowship with Jesus. And Jesus even tells us so when he talks about communion. And he says, "Um, by the way, if you're going to follow me, you need to eat my body and drink my blood. And everyone was like, you're weird, we're out of here. But what is Jesus talking about? Jesus is taking this whole picture of the Passover lamb, that was slain for the people, and the people had to eat the Passover lamb, had to take it inside them, and that's a picture for us of when we believe in what Jesus has done, when we come to him and believe, and he told us that in John chapter 6, verse 35, when you come to me and believe, that's eating my body and drinking my blood. It's not a physical thing, it's a spiritual thing, it has to do with your will. Do you want to be saved by me? Do you want to eat the Passover? And here we have three groups of people that the Bible says are not allowed to eat the Passover. So as we're translating this and applying it to our lives, we see that there's three areas of our life, three groups of people we could say, that God doesn't have fellowship with. That maybe they want to know God, they want to walk with God, but God says that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Let's look at what it is. Now, the first group is foreigners. Foreigners. What does that mean? That God doesn't like anyone that's not Jewish? No, that's not what it means. Foreigners, in this context, they were the children of Abraham, were the Israelites, okay? They were, and Abraham is the father of what? The father of faith, he's called in the New Testament. The father of faith. So, only those who had participated in this faith, who have been, been born into this family of believers, people who have faith in God, that God will keep his promises, those are not foreigners. And he says, only people who believe in me can participate in fellowship with me. An atheist can't come and have a conversation with Jesus. Makes sense, right? But, What do you have to believe? Just that God exists? What do you think? What do you have to believe? What did Abraham believe? Abraham believed that God was telling the truth, that God would save him, that God would deliver him. Abraham believed the gospel. Abraham believed that God would rescue him. And by believing that, Abraham became the father of faith. He showed faith. That's what it means. A foreigner was defined as someone who wanted to hold on to their past identity, which is not okay. We have to leave it all behind when we believe in Jesus. How am I going to get saved? Well, the only way I know is that Jesus died for me on the cross, and he washes away my sin. It doesn't matter how much I go to church, how much I read the Bible, how much I pray. It's just whether I believe that, and then he transforms my life, and I walk and follow him. Well, so that's the first one, a foreigner. So the question is, are you a foreigner, or are you a child of faith? I can't tell you, but you can, you can decide that. You can decide Am I a foreigner? The second person who is not able to have fellowship with Jesus, not able to eat the Passover, is a hired servant. People that were hired for pay. They're not interested in becoming part of a family. So fast forward to the New Testament, and Jesus tells the the prodigal son parable. You guys remember that one? And he says there's the son, and he goes off, and he parties, and he wants his dad dead. And then he he goes and parties, and then he gets poor because he loses everything, and he comes home, and what does his dad do? His dad gives him a robe, his dad puts a ring on him, and his dad accepts him into the family with no punishment, just grace, just love and mercy. I'm so glad you're home. He became part of the family, and that son received that. But that parable is not really about that kid. The parable is about the other son. And the other son was the son who stayed home the entire time, never went out and partied, never took his inheritance. But that son, when the, when the guy came, when his brother came home, he got really angry and he said, Dad, you never let me have any fun. And, he, and he, he got upset and he wouldn't come in and wouldn't fellowship with his father or with his brother because he was only working for his dad. He was there, but he had no interest in being part of the family. He was all about work. He's a hired servant. You know, when the, when the prodigal son comes home and he's like, Dad, I'll just be your servant. The dad's like, shut up, I'm not listening to you. You just need to come here and I'm just love you, love you, love you, love you. Why? Because the father already had a son who just wanted to work for him. And what does this tell us? This tells us that when we want fellowship with Jesus... You can't base it on works. You have to just accept the ring of covenant, that he loves you, that he has put a ring of marriage on you. He says, I want to be married to you. I want to see you every morning when you get up, and I want to pour out my love and my life in love to you. And he puts the robes of righteousness on us. He wants to clothe us with his very love. That takes humility and saying, I have dirty clothes on, and Jesus, I need you to wrap me with your grace every day. And that is how we accept the family, instead of saying, God, let me earn it from you. Let me do something to make it up to you, because I've been such a jerk, I've been such an idiot. Let me do something, and God's like, no, no, I will not let you do that. We can't do that. That is a legalistic way of trying to earn God's grace when he says, I will never accept that. I will only give you my love as you humble yourself and receive it. Does that make sense? Okay, so the first guy was the foreigner. Do you really believe? Second guy is the hired servant. He doesn't, uh, you know, he doesn't have any fellowship with Jesus because he doesn't need it. Third guy is the uncircumcised guy. They also are not allowed. Now look, at, he says it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. It didn't matter. A mixed multitude came out with them. Remember how we've been talking about how they, is, the Egyptians are watching during all of these plagues, watching Moses and watching them, God's people? They're watching God? Because a lot of them, apparently, decided, "We're out of Egypt. Our guy, our, our king is crazy. We're going to follow Moses and this God, because we, we just believe. We believe. And so what was required of them? That they got circumcised. Well, what is that? That means that they enter into the covenant of God. It doesn't matter if we're Jew or Gentile, no matter where, how we grow up, you have to choose to become a part of God's family and God's covenant. How do we do that? Well, back then it was circumcision. Today, yay, it's not circumcision anymore. Or else we would have some crazy baptism parties. <laughs> Today, it's baptism. It's baptism. That's where you declare to your family and the whole world, I am going to follow Jesus Christ. I have chosen him and his team. And I'm going to follow him for my whole life. So in this whole thing, this, this, this fellowship with Jesus, this eating um, the Passover meal, we see a, a real principle. And we're almost done, guys. We're going quick here. It's that enemies of Jesus... Are kept out but friends of jesus are invited in enemies are kept out but friends are invited in and unfortunately outside these homes where the blood covers their doors what sounds do you hear you hear weeping you hear crying why because they're facing judgment of god their kids are dying you hear weeping and gnashing of teeth that's a bible term we're going to see that in the book of Luke, we're going to end with this, this part in the book of Luke, in, in chapter 13 verse 22. Jesus connects the dots for us here." And he says, "And he went through the cities and villages teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. Then one said to him, "Lord, are there few who are saved? Lord, are there few who are saved?" And he said to them, Strive to enter the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter, but will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, you will begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. Where are you from? I don't know you. Where are you from? Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence. And you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I don't know you. And where are you are from? Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out, then you will come from the, they, they will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God, and indeed there are, uh, and indeed, there are last who will be first, and there are first who will be last. So knowing Jesus is the whole deal. Passover... And eating the Passover meal was about knowing Jesus. And we've spent three weeks now studying the Passover and how every single part of it pointed to who? Jesus. And you got your bitter herbs and you got your Passover lamb. Here we had the bones of the Passover weren't allowed to be broken when you're eating it. And that points right to Jesus because his bones were not broken. And in Psalms it said not a single bone of his would be broken. And, and every single detail about this lamb is a perfect picture of Jesus. So he says, if you want to get to know me, you have to look at this lamb. You have to, he has to be your lamb. And knowing Jesus is the whole deal. Eating this Passover meal is how they were saved. For us, it's the same thing. All of salvation depends on knowing him personally. Knowing Jesus means salvation from hell. Well, who's bringing up hell? Jesus did. He says, if you don't know me, you're going to be outside where the weeping and gnashing of teeth are. In our story in Exodus, they had weeping and gnashing outside where they experienced death and they experienced the worst pain that they could ever go through because they rejected the lamb. They said, we don't need no lamb. God's, God can't touch me. I've done nothing to deserve it. I'm a good guy. I help old ladies across the street. God says they rejected my son. And so the only way that that ends is hell. So that's how the Passover connects to us and our life. We are all invited to share with the deliverance that God offers to anyone who takes the lamb For themselves, and it's very personal. You you don't take the lamb by going to church. You don't take the lamb and eat it by um, having a membership at a certain denomination or anything like that. God, Jesus Himself will stand at the door and say, "Welcome, my beloved child," or, "I don't know who you are. You never took the time to eat." me and drink me to spend that time with me to come to me and believe and i just want to put it out today that there is an offer for every single one of us today and i don't care if you've been a believer for a long time or you've thought you were a believer for a long time we all need to eat and drink the passover today so would you guys stand with me we're done get your blood flowing just a little bit. There is an offer for every single one of us. And just, just uh, close your eyes with me, and we're going we're gonna to pray to the Lord here. But I just want to say that this offer that Jesus is saying, I want to know you. I want to deliver you. I want to be your Redeemer. I want to be everything that you need. I want to be your Savior, because I am the door, the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except by me. Every one of us in here has an opportunity today to believe that, to come to him, eat him, and drink him, and you will be saved. Your sins will be washed away. So if anyone in here today has a decision to make and you want to decide that, then I pray you would take a few moments here in in the silence and you would talk to Jesus and you'd say, Lord, I need you. I am a sinner. I cannot ever make up to you for all the sin I've done. All the good works in the world won't make up for the fact that I am a lawbreaker. I have broken your law. But Jesus, you in your great love are the lamb that was slain and killed for me on the cross. And I believe it. I receive it. I take that blood. I put it on the doorpost of my heart, my life. And I'm going to stay. I'm going to remain in this relationship where I depend on you and your blood and your death alone. And you can say any version of that you want. You can can just call out to him in your heart, Lord, save me, and he will. There's no reason why we should go another day living for ourselves or the way we think we should. Let's do it according to what the word of God says. And for those of us who have been walking with the Lord, take this as an encouragement to continue eating him, drinking him, fellowshipping with him, and serving him going out into the wilderness. You've been redeemed for a very important purpose. And like Dave's life shows, Dave is now uh, serving in our church. He's teaching the kids. He's one of the most faithful guys here. And that's what Jesus does in our life. He teaches us how to serve his family, his people, and be a light to the world. So Father Jesus, we come to you. We believe, uh, Father, that you sent Jesus to die on the cross. We We pray that you would uh, pour your life into our hearts. Lord, when we're waiting and it seems like a long time, I pray you would encourage us. I pray we would be held up and strengthened as we simply put our hope and trust in you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.